Welcome to Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. I'm an engineer and I work in Silicon Valley. I am originally from Caracas, Venezuela, and I've been calling the U.S. home for the last 20 years. When it comes to Latinos in the U.S., we are 60 million people, but we're only 3% of the workers in science or engineering. As a professional in Silicon Valley, I've had the opportunity to meet some remarkable professionals that work in the tech industry, Latinos like me. With this podcast, I want to bring you a collection of their stories and how they got a job in tech in the first place. And if they had to start all over again, what would they do differently? I want to share with you career advice on how to get a job in tech, how to deal with imposter syndrome, how to find your tribe when you're the only one in the room. This is Latinos Who Tech. This episode of Latinos Who Tech is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the world's premium platform for audiobooks with over 150,000 titles. If you're like me, you're passionate about learning new things, but finding the time to read may be difficult. Audiobooks are a great alternative. You can get a free 30-day trial plus a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash latinos. Go and support them since they support us. Thank you. Marcos Rocky, welcome to Latinos with Tech. Awesome, thank you, Hugo. So tell me your story. I'm from San Juan de los Moros. It's a city in the center of Venezuela, a couple hours uh, from Caracas. I've always been kind of, I would say, a good learner. And so I, I ended up going to engineering school um, in Venezuela, the Universidad Simón Bolívar. Then after that, I, um, I did kind of a double degree in Politecnico de Torino. Um, I studied electrical engineering. Um, halfway kind of through my degree, um, I kind of re I had this big kind of realization of like um, what what trying to figure out what I was going what yeah like what did I truly want to do after I graduated. It's kind of I think you get to that point when you're kind of running from one class to another. You don't think about it, but then there's a point where you're like, okay, now I have to start deciding. And electrical engineering is a very broad degree, mm -hmm. so you get you get a lot of options. It's not like maybe like computer science might be a lot more narrow, like chemical engineering. I feel like electrical engineering uh, allows you a lot of mobility, right? Like you can go into telecommunications, you can go into like power uh, mm -hmm. electronics, you can go into microconductor or like microchip design. Mm -hmm. So you can do so many things, and um, you'll you'll get to that point where you're like, okay, now what what am I good at? Um, and for me, it was very kind of particular because I really liked uh, programming and I really like uh, consumer products. And electrical engineering is a little bit far from that, mm -hmm. uh, from building products. So I kind of taught myself to write more like high-level programming languages, JavaScript, um, web technologies, HTML, like how to write maybe like a um, web app in Python. And um, through that, I started like, building small products. And they never got traction, right? Like they never, they never worked. Uh, they they worked as in everything was complete, the product was complete, and uh, but I never got customers or users, and so that kind of sparked like a whole set of things that I said I had to learn, right? Like why are, are some products or companies more successful than others, right? Like or some of them get users, some don't. So that got me into learning about like product design and like product marketing, marketing, digital marketing. And um, 
I call it that there's like this sentence that almost like summarizes it perfectly is uh, focusing on the what versus the how. So I, um, at some point, kind of stumbled upon uh, the story of Reid Hoffman. So that's the founder of LinkedIn. And uh, he he had kind of a similar path. I think he, he actually comes from a different background, but he landed in, in a role called product manager, right? Like um, in product management. And uh, when I, I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is this what's right for me because I like to be more of a generalist. I like to learn many things. Uh, I still like the technical side a lot, uh, but I'm not the best developer. I'm more of a systems thinker, and I like to connect that with um, product design, user, uh, understanding user psychology, right? and, and um, connecting all of that with marketing. Right? Like how do I get more people to um, use our product or buy our product or grow the company? Right? And um, Got it. So the way I think about it is, uh, no, thank you for that is uh, maybe I'm not the best uh, violin player or the best uh, conductor, yeah. but I'm the best uh, arranger. Because I know what every instrument needs to sound like. Yeah. I know the kind of melodies I can do. Yeah. Yeah. I know what a real good, really good musician can perform. Yeah. So it's kind of like organizing that. So it's like you can have visibility on the product, on the marketing, on the business idea. Yeah. So it's uh, just being more cohesive. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I think that was kind of a, a great realization for me. Um, it was also something that I really liked. It's kind of a good fit for my, my passions. And it's also something that's in the market, right? Like, uh, and this is probably something that, that uh, most of us kind of know, but you have to find that spot where, you, where the, what the market needs meets what you're good at and what you like. And so I, I feel like that, that was kind of an immediate kind of click. And I just started kind of going deeper on that, on the world of uh, product and, and then after that in growth. Got it. So you mentioned Reid Hoffman and realizing yeah. that he, you know, he's a product manager. Great. But you're in Italy at the moment, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So it's like he's uh, all the way, you know, like nine hours ahead you know, in California. So it's do you know any other product managers in your area? No, like, uh, how did you, like, do you get to do like any informational the, interviews with any, like, how do you yeah. find out that, you know, you wanted to be yeah, a that's PM? So, yeah, that's funny. Um, there's actually, uh, the world of product is, is fairly new and there's no degrees for that. So it's not like you can just go and get a degree in product management. There might be a few boot camps now or like some specific, like mm -hmm. small degrees, but it, it's something fairly new and it's, uh, not very homogeneous right like the approach and the definition of it uh, right. is very fuzzy and so um i started just doing a lot of research and doing informational interviews so i just went on linkedin uh tried to find people that had kind of a similar background I actually connected with a few folks uh that were from my university that were doing kind of product design or product management um and i went on and um i was using that opportunity to ask them how they kind of made that shift uh, entering, kind of breaking into product is really hard because um, it's all about the experience, but you cannot get experience if you don't get a job. Yes, and you cannot get a, the egg, right? and, and you cannot get a degree. So it's all about trust. In a, in a way, the people that are hiring you have to trust that you know uh, about product and that you can do it. Um, so I got I got super lucky. Uh, there's actually a funny story. I'm a, my wife's a product designer. She's at, at Airbnb now. Um, and at the time we were, uh, kind of both realizing that we wanted to come to Silicon Valley 
and I was kind of finishing my engineering degree. She's a, a designer focusing on, on UI design. And I wanted to gain kind of reps and learn about product management. So I started being a kind of a ghost a product product manager for her, uh, similar to like a ghost writer for, for, uh, for a writer. So I would log into her email and reply to all the leads or all the, the clients I wanted to work with her, uh, prep all the work, uh, do wireframes, do all the strategy, send to the clients, get it all approved. And then at night when she would come back from work, uh, we just start working in our freelance kind of uh, projects. And uh, at some point when I said, well, I'm, I'm about to graduate, so I need my own portfolio. I'm going to start forwarding the emails to myself. And then the next email was uh, from a company here in Silicon Valley. And they were like, hey, we need, we need, a we need help with design. I'm like, well, we actually, it's funny because we have a whole team and we can help you. Uh, you should talk to Marcos. And so I, I use and this that. Is, and this is you writing an email to yourself. Yeah. Like yeah. in the CC line. Yeah. <laughs> and this now, nowadays that's my partner at the agency. So it's, uh, we still laugh about it because it's like me introducing myself. And then I use the opportunity to basically do uh, an informational interview with him. He was a VP of product at, at Yumly at the time. And they were looking for help on design, but I was like, no, you actually need a, a product manager. Uh, maybe, maybe one like me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have a few, um, I think it's, it's really important that you know how to take those conversations, how to have those conversations so that people, uh, get to know you mm -hmm. and, and know, um, your passion about product or growth or, or digital products. In my case, it was consumer products. Um, yeah. So as you're having these informational interviews, um, what works for you? Uh, do you have an idea in the back of your mind of, uh, you know, now that you're a professional, you have this, all this experience as a product manager in yeah. the growth area. Uh, when people like Marcos you know, 10 years ago yeah, yeah. approach you and they say, hey, I'd like to have an informational interview with you. Are there any key ways of doing it, the right way of doing it, the wrong way of doing yeah. it? What, what does that look like? I you? have a few. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question because I think, so one, the, the basic approach would be, I, I, come to, I come to you or I come to this person that I admire somehow, right? And I say, I'm going to use some of their time. They're being very generous. And I'm going to ask them whatever question I have in my mind, right? Like easy questions that I call like simple questions. Say, uh, what is what is product management? Right? Like, and I actually consider that to be a, a, a bit of a waste of time for both because you can learn that from reading a book and they can save their time. So I think the informational uh, interviews are actually a great vehicle. If you kind of you do your homework, you know what they are really good at, and then you prepare really good questions and then you use that time to convey the things that you're passionate about, the things that you know by asking really good questions. So questions that are not obvious for them to answer. So the, the thing that's not written in the first chapter of the book, right? <laughs> um, and so I think that's, uh, that's actually an amazing vehicle and, and everyone should be using it if they're going through a career change or if they're looking for another job. Uh, but you have to do the homework, right? Like you have to know the person that you're talking to, what's their background, what have been their challenges, how does that align with your challenges and the thing that, that you have learned and then create, like just spend some time prepping, right? Like it's really valuable time. And if you get someone that's um, really ahead in the industry, they have a lot of connections. And 
even if they don't have an opportunity for you, but they're impressed by your questions, they'll be referring you to everyone they know that, that needs a, a product manager or someone smart, right? So uh, I think they're an amazing channel, but you have to be uh, very purposeful when you go to these interviews. Um, I think here in Silicon Valley, people tend to be very generous. So it's easy to not uh, put the homework and put the time into preparing well for these. Definitely. And I think that a lot of, a lot of people that uh, are a little bit scared of approaching people that have 10 years, 20 years of experience. Uh, but you know what? They're people just like you. Ah. They're people just like you. Um, and I'd add to that that maybe if you can, of course, if, if it's possible, try to get a warm intro somehow. Yeah. You know, if you, uh, I mean, we have all these great tools, right? We have LinkedIn. We have all these networks, all these uh, societies and, and you know, like non-for-profits yeah. that we can join in. Guess what? You might have somebody in common already. Yeah. So like what just happened earlier today, you met, you had a contact. So this uh, Agustin yeah. Baniagua and you thought that, oh, he would be a great guy for your podcast. Hugo. I want to introduce you to him. Yeah. And you introduced me to him and you basically pitched me. Yeah. to him and we use it a podcast in the spot yeah uh, and that's because i know you take your your podcast seriously you're professional about it so every everyone i know that uh i think could be a good guest i'll just recommend them to you right like that that happens when you when you um when you convey that you care about something and i know you care about this like super serious professional uh you you prepare and so why why not right yeah. like uh, and that's what, what actually happens with the informational interviews when they're done right. Like people, uh, you just create kind of people that are going to be spreading uh, who you are and what you do, what you like, uh, if you manage to convey that. Uh, you, you're not going to do that with like the, the easy questions, I, I feel. Definitely. In the my informational interview story, or well, it's more of a follow-up story because yeah. I think that's the other piece that... People, okay, we had a great conversation. We, you, maybe you asked amazing questions and yeah. great, but you didn't follow up after the fact. Yeah. Uh, maybe you followed up six months after. Yeah. Uh, that's not a great follow up. You want to follow up the week after or maybe yeah. two weeks after. At least say thank you, right? Yeah. Uh, or say, hey, I know that you mentioned XYZ product, by the way. Here's a review that I think you find interesting. Here's yeah. a short article about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you my story about follow-ups. I was recruiting for my company at this uh, conference for Hispanic engineers. Yeah. And a student that was looking for internships, she actually approached me. And again, you know, uh, there's probably like 50 students behind her online that they want to talk with me. And she actually, she broke the pattern. Because when they approach nice. you, they always say, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm majoring in this, and I want an internship with your company. And I probably hear that like 300 times, yeah. <laughs> you know, in it's, one it's track of and, 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 yeah. and, it's, and, and that's fine, you know, it's part, it's part of the job, right? Yeah. But then she actually asked me, so I was wondering if you could share with me what's the biggest challenge you have in this world? And the fact that she, and she meant it. Like I could tell that this is not something she read on LinkedIn on the line, you know, she meant it. And, oh, okay. Um, so actually, I'm actually covering Latin America now, and I have a lot of trouble. Uh, I spend a lot of time translating technical terms. 
um, I'm sure this happens to you as well, that we learn things like, uh, oh, yeah, SEO, search yeah. engine optimization. Yeah, how do you see and that? Then, uh, and, and I'm sure you can translate it literally. Uh, but there's also other things like, uh, oh, yeah, like transconductance operational amplifiers. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you can say operadores amplificadores de transconductancia. You could say that. But she, I told that to her and she said, oh, that's really interesting. And then we have a you know quick conversation, like a three, four minute conversation. And then, well, thank you. And stay in touch. Here's my email. And two weeks later, I get an email. Hugo, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming to this conference and recording for us. By the way, I found this online dictionary from the European Union. It's a technical dictionary for 22 languages. I think you'd find it useful. Nice. Stay in touch. Yeah, that's a way. And then she signed it. I'm sure you're busy. No need to reply. Nice. So, okay. So my, my impression is like, okay. Uh, <laughs> boss, I need headcount right now. I need to hire somebody. <laughs> nice. So, so when when I was looking for an intern for that summer, guess who I called first? Yeah, because you know she made that impression, and she actually I could tell that she asked a smart question, and yeah. she followed up with something of great value. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a, a really good story. Uh, as as you're telling that story, as you're telling that story, I remember. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I, I just said, I talked to this guy, I did an informational interview and I got the job, but that's not what truly happened. Well, at least it didn't happen over a couple of weeks. So it took months, right? right? Like I, I was still going to college and um, used to talk about the importance of the follow-ups. So I was doing these informational interviews with um, a few people from Silicon Valley and I knew I, I, I wasn't going to be able to come to the US. So I was looking for a product management job in Europe. And in Europe, things are not as advanced as they are here in the U.S. Mm. In, in the world of products. So they're more conservative. So I was going to these interviews and they, um, I recall specifically, I hadn't learned about agile product ma uh, project management. Mm -hmm. So things like Scrum and like user stories, um, it's like a process, right? Like it's something that in the grand scheme of things is something you, you could learn very quickly. And I botched an interview uh, in London because of that, uh, that portion of the kind of the whole day. Uh, they said, we want someone with experience in this. And I recall I went back and I just um, emailed and I followed up actually with a question. And I was like, hey, I just botched this interview Do you, because of this particular topic. They said, I was really good at on the product design question and the analytics question and this and that, but I botched it because of um, the, the Scrum methodology, mm -hmm. whatever question they asked me. And this guy who's a VP of product, he's like, that, that doesn't matter. Like if you did all the other stuff well, mm -hmm. then you're probably ready. And that's when he offered me the, the, the job. Uh, that was so funny because he was like very, very counterintuitive, but he realized that uh, I was asking him, hey, do you know how should I prep for this? And he gave me a couple of resources. And then we started chatting more about like completing kind of my uh, training or my learning as a product manager or, or to get ready to enter the industry. And that's when he realized like, oh, he knows all the things I need him to know. So they start giving him work. Um, and yeah, that's how, how, how he got started. Yeah, no, that, that, that's the great. That, that's great because... Uh, it, I'm not sure what the framework is called, 
Um, but you know, like there's a imagine that your the knowledge you have is a big uh, pie a pie chart. Yeah. There's a slice of the stuff you know. Yeah. There's one of uh, the stuff that you don't know. Yeah. And then there's one of the stuff that you know that you don't know. Yeah. So the fact that you showcase that, hey, I did great on this part, but I don't know this agile thing. Could you please share with me some resources so I can improve on that? So that that's uh, I think that that was the the you know the key the key thing yeah, that made it flip to your yeah. way. The fact that oh this kid failed the interview, but he still wants to learn. Okay, that's resilience. And because agile, that's something you can learn over a weekend. Yeah, right? like uh, it's pretty straightforward. You know, like actually like deploying it and using it in a project and shipping it. Yeah, yeah it takes it, it takes some time, yeah, but but you but you can time. learn yeah. it, right? So it's uh no, it's fantastic. Man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's uh a really good point on the importance of a good follow-up this one yeah yeah so tell me what does a product manager for growth do like uh so because i hear this word all around me like growth and i think like growth marketing analytics like uh what is growth anyway yeah yeah so that's a really great question i'm pretty sure if you ask this to like 10 people that grow working growth they all will give you different answers yeah i'll get like Uh, 15 different answers from 10 people right but uh let's i I have a few so i have like a two or three step answer so the the first part of the answer is um so a product manager is a person focusing more on the what rather than the how Mm -hmm. right like the how is a job of the designer and the engineer and the product manager is kind of going to the to the market to the business side and figuring out uh, the needs there uh, so that they can translate that into a brief for the engineering team to to create the product or the design team to design it right and so you have that uh, and there's a set of techniques to do that in the kind of traditional way uh, which are more centered around um, user experience design and user-centered design. That's kind of the traditional way that things were done in Silicon Valley, at least for consumer products. Um, in the last few years, what happened was um, a bunch of um, the work started splitting, right? Like in particular with consumer internet, um, you have the design of the product and then you need to do a series of things to get the product into the market that are the job of the same team in a way it's different when you do like a like a chip you have a product manager designing uh, or, or like defining what the market needs and then you have some engineers uh, building that and then you send that to the market and they put it in stores or they put it in laptops and, and like a traditional marketing team will take it to the mm-hmm. customers uh, in the real world but in the digital world uh, the same people that are building the thing are the ones selling it to the customers so what happens is a lot of people that were uh, that had engineering backgrounds started doing this. So I, I think growth is kind of that space of of product and marketing approached uh, by a bunch of engineers, and it it kind of was born. Some people started giving it a, the name of growth. It's like probably the people that um, some of the first um, kind of social network companies were the the first ones to start working in this area but it's basically somewhere building the product and somewhere figuring out how to get you to invite your friends and so these guys were usually engineers were product managers but they had this mindset of like very data-driven thinking and very systems-driven thinking so that's kind of the second part of the answer is there's some parts of the product 
or the company that can be uh, developed using this mindset, this data-driven mindset. And so you you leave not completely aside, but like you reduce the importance of like um, traditional methods, and then you focus more on, on numbers. And you use those numbers to figure out what uh, makes your product grow in number of users, or your company, or sell more, or your your product uh, to be more popular. And so it's basically, I think, it's a data driven approach to, to product and to design and marketing. Got it. Yeah, and and I love the fact that you mentioned the social media companies because uh, yeah, I have this. Um, there's this book I love. It's called uh, by this uh, PM from Facebook. His name is uh, Antonio Garcia Martinez. Oh, yeah. uh, Chaos Monkeys. Yeah, yeah, Chaos yeah. Monkeys. Chaos awesome. Monkeys is fantastic. That he said that he has this image of he would be in a meeting with Zuckerberg, and you know what? Zuckerberg doesn't care what you're building as long as the graph is up and to the right. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. Like, hey, what what we're building? Is it good? Is it bad? I don't care. Is it growing? Yes. Okay. Cool. Go for it. Just yeah. don't mess with the like button. Yeah. The like button was sacred, right? Uh, don't touch it. Yeah. So there's a there's a quote that I think uh, summarizes growth, and and it's uh, I think it's from the C uh, from the CEO of Netscape, and it's um, I think there was like this meeting, and he said, if if we have data, uh, let's use the data, and if all we have are opinions, let's use mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that summarizes really well because it's like. Um, Let's just find the data. Let's figure out how our product works. What what are mm-hmm. the mechanics that will create that will make it grow, mm-hmm. like, and then do that um, in a purposeful way. So I, I think this can like this can go into like some ethical considerations and whatnot. But it's how do you make your product grow uh, while making your your users happier and your customers happier? Right. Yeah. And, and all within the context of a digital product. So think of an application like, uh, like Uber Eats yeah. or something like uh, the Kindle app yeah. or Audible or, you know, wherever you are that you are listening to this podcast, that podcast app in your phone. Yeah. So yeah. how can we grow that user base? How can we yeah. retain them? Yeah. How can we not even like grow the user base, just get people's eyes and attention span yeah. to realize that, oh, yeah, you guys exist. Yeah. Maybe it's not for me, but I can tell my friend about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this, I think you mentioned something that's interesting. Uh, there's a concept of, they call it the North Star. And that's kind of the metric that you're going after. So that's um, um, a super interesting topic because different companies will have different North Stars. So if you're Facebook, they, their North Star is the number of daily active users. And that's why all the controversy today, because they're creating addiction and whatnot for other companies. So for example, for um, YouTube, it might be the number of minutes that you're watching videos because maybe you log in once a day, you watch one minute, but they want you to like see more content on YouTube. Uh, Some other companies have like uh, different goals. So for example, they might measure weekly activity Mm -hmm. and they might be measuring, for example, for Google, it's the fact that you found the answer to your question. So Google is, was very unique because they were one of the first companies where they they make more money the less time you're on Google. Right? Like they, that if they ship you to the right company and you're happy, then probably that company paid Google via an ad or something, and so they monetize it that way. 
Um, so different companies will have different North Stars. So for a podcast app, it might be the number of listening minutes and they might be for an education company. It's a course completion, right? Like it's how many people are uh, completing the courses that, that I'm creating. And so you, after you define that, then you can start uh, with that engineering and data driven mindset, um, breaking it up into a series of steps, right? And so you define, so for you to complete a course, what do I need to do? So I need to first get you into my site and then I need you to create an account and then I need you to choose a course or courses that you like, or maybe the degree, if it's a, like a more complex product. And then I need you to start the classes. And then if you forget, I'll send you a notification. And then finally, I'll get you to complete it. And so now I have mapped my whole funnel. That's what we call the user funnel. And then you start reverse engineering what you need to do to move your users through the funnel and also to get more people on top of the funnel. Right. So that's um, the, the typical um, most used way to, to kind of split this work in most companies is uh, um, acquisition, user acquisition, then user activation, then user retention, then revenue, and then referral. And uh, I can go a little bit into sure. each one of those. Sure. And maybe you can um, give me like an example of, because uh, uh, I love how you mentioned the that online course uh, example, because yeah. uh, a lot of the people, I mean, uh, the two or three people that listen to this, yeah. uh, they're great. They're big in online learning, you know, so like yeah. LinkedIn learning. Um, yeah, that's actually a great example. Yeah, I like so. it. So let's let's put that, say, uh, online learning product through the lens of the the user funnel. So in terms of the user acquisition, these are kind of the techniques that you use to get more people on the door, right? Like coming to your product for the first time. And there's a few things you can do there. So there's um, probably the, the the first one is what we call direct, direct people coming. It's like, hey, Google told me about this course. So you just type in onlinecourse.com and then you go there to that site or you download the app and you go there. Um, that's also called word of mouth when it's because of um, kind of organic offline virality. Um, second one is um, search, online search or, or SEO. That's another big channel. Uh, it's probably the biggest one today in terms of organic marketing. So you might be interested in learning about product management. So you'll type in Google product management courses and then you'll see someone ranking there. There's 10 results. You'll choose one of them. You'll click. And so you got to the, to the course platform there. Um, third one is paid marketing. So maybe you're browsing Facebook, but Facebook somehow knows that you're interested in product management and, or in growth. And they're like, Hey, this is this amazing course. Uh, you should take it. So you click and you go to the platform. And then maybe the third, uh, the fourth one would be, uh, kind of engineer, what I call it, engineer virality. You're like browsing your inbox and you're like, Hey, Google invited you to take this course. Uh, here's $5 discount for if you, if you started today. Um, so that's what it's more like engineer virality. And then maybe like a, a, a fifth one would be sales. So maybe someone came to your company and said, Hey, we have this package. Um, and they sell you on, on buying like this for the entire company. And so I hope everyone now is signed up and uh, has to take the course. So that's what we call user acquisition. So figuring out what for each one of these channels, what are the mechanics that you can use to bring more people to, to uh, expose them to your product? So how are, just from your, your experience, you know, how are people gathering all these uh, data? Because I think that for, you know, for 
I guess like less than a hundred customers. Yeah. Um, you could get away with you know like keeping a, a Google Sheet or something like that, but I'm sure there's like very sophisticated ways yeah. of analyzing this because we have products that have millions of users, right? Yeah. Yeah, we could. I could talk a whole day about this, but this is what what we call. Um, right, that's why you're in the podcast, man. You're opportun the expert. You're opportunity the expert. sizing and benchmarking. Um, <laughs> there's many tools that there are panels out there that that uh, measure uh, how many people are using different platforms, typing in some search queries on Google. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook has their own forecasting tools. So if you plug in your you say, I want to run an ad against someone that's interested in product management. They'll tell you there's 2.5 million interested in this. And so you know what's the size of your audience for each one of these channels. And so you can create your own spreadsheet and start filling in kind of what are the, the steps and the parts of the funnel and kind of um, breaking it down and see where you are. Uh, maybe get a little bit of data from your competitors, see where they are and see where the gaps are. So you know... Hey, I, I we're not doing paid marketing. Uh, why is my competitor doing a lot more than than us? Um, and then trying to figure out if there's a way to close that gap or to beat some of the competition in, those, um, uh, in each channel. There's, so there's different tools. Okay. Uh, there's a few for for SEO um, that are um, mainly focused on search volume for specific queries. Mm -hmm. um, for virality, it's mostly based on your internal metrics of your product. For uh, paid, each platform, paid platform will give you a forecast of uh, um, potential audience size for, for your category. Because I remember when I, so whenever I, I launch a, a podcast, a, a post in my, in my Instagram page, so, so for Latinos Who Tech or Conexiones podcast, it, I noticed that they ask me, okay, do you want to share this with people that are that look like the people that already follow yeah. you? Yeah. Or you can you want to make your own audience? Yeah. Yeah. And I have so much freaking fun just playing with those parameters because uh, what I actually do is that sometimes what I'll do is that I think about myself, right? And okay, so who is this episode for? Yeah. And I did this episode about uh, Food for Venezuela, this yeah. uh, organization that we can talk about a little bit after. And, uh, okay, I'm going to share this with people that like Venezuela and also people that like Tim Ferriss. Mm, because these are people that care about personal development, yeah. and people that care about professional development, but also have a connection with Venezuela. Yeah. And also want to share with people in these key locations. So I pick uh, Miami, nice. Houston, New York, yeah. LA, Panama City, in Panama, yeah. Bogota, and Buenos Aires. Nice. Because yeah. in my head, in my in my gut instinct is that this where this is where the Venezuelans are that I think would care about these kind of content. Yeah. So Yeah, that's a great it's a great start. I think I'm I'm a little bit obsessed about using data. So I, I would uh <laughs> I yeah, I would take something like that and even try to add more data. Right? Like can we look at a census and see where the Venezuelans are? Can we um See, well, what, what you're talking about, the lookalike audiences is really interesting because it's the machine learning way of doing this analysis. So what the, what Facebook is doing or Instagram is they're saying, what are people, it's similar to the Netflix algorithm, right? like people that watch this show also watch this other show. They're doing the same thing for each one of the posts that you're publishing. So they're looking at each post and tagging it with a bunch of dimensions, hashtags, 
and then trying to find audiences that are also likely to to like it right and and, and i think um uh, not facebook but uh spotify has an interesting take on it so you remember this this happened at the end of 2019 yeah um people are probably going to be listening to this on 2050 so yeah. I, don't, i don't know when people are listening to this Uh, so at the end of 2019, Spotify came out with this product that gave you the metrics of uh, which genres you listen to and all those things. Yeah. So actually, I went into the back end of the podcast and it gave me what are my listeners listening to. Yeah. So it was J Balvin, Waco, oh, nice. Chino y Nacho. <laughs> okay, this, this, <laughs> these a, folks, are, these are definitely yeah. Venezuelans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or Colombians, so I, now, I guess. So the, now you can use that to target them on, on Instagram. Exactly. Like, or target us on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. So, so the, I think the, the other step that I mm -hmm. wanted to briefly. So I, I, we, we talked about user acquisition. That's kind of the first step in the funnel. Uh, there's a few other. I, I want to drill in into activation and retention. Because yeah, I feel like tho those two are key and very interesting. So activation, uh, the way I summarize it is, how do you create a successful user? That's uh, the one-liner definition that, that I have for it. Uh, different companies will define it in different ways. Uh, some ways are very shallow and simple. Just sign up. Si if I get them on my page and they sign up, they are activated. They'll be successful. Some companies have more uh, sophisticated um, thinking. Uh, what they do is they tend to... Uh, Look at what are some of the key actions that these successful users have, the people that love the product the most, that, that keep buying. So, for example, in the, the case of the online course, you'll see the, the students that tend to finish the course and have amazing grades. What did they do? Oh, they logged in the first three days in a row. Uh, they set up their preferences. They connected with peer students. So... The, the, the activation team or the growth team will go and say, how can we build that into the first experience of the product? So that's what you see kind of these onboarding flows today where you every time you sign up for a product, they try to get you to do a few things. They try to get you to connect with your friends, to follow your interests. Mm -hmm. That's so you can understand the product that you're signing up for and use it successfully. So that's uh, activation. And then the, the, the other one that I wanted to talk about is retention. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm following through. Uh, it's just like I think that there's a fair amount of um, data, of course, but also psychology. Yes. So definitely. how do I nudge my user to actually write their email address and their um, credit card number yeah. or whatever you need them to do? To yeah. So how do you like minimize that friction? I think plays a key part also. Yeah. That's. Um That's why, why um, I think product management and growth in particular are kind of so multifaceted and you need to understand that too. I, I think there's, um, I almost see it as a stack of things. And at the top of the stack, I think there's like the UI mechanics. So like, is the button big enough? Is it, is it not transparent, right? Like, can I see it? Uh, can I type my email? Is it being kind of a annoying it's like asking me to type the password and then type it again and you're sending a symbol that i don't have on my keyword right like maybe maybe it's asking all of this and that's uh, preventing you from signing up but then after that you have like uh, what i call messaging and, and user intent which is 
beyond what's in the UI, what are my, what are the people that are bringing into my product? What are they trying to do? So if I'm bringing a guy that wants to learn about product management or about growth, how can I communicate that to them so that they actually sign up and do all these steps? Right. And so that's a, um, what we tend to call user intent, mm-hmm. right? Like understanding what, uh, what's kind of the true motivation of the user and, and how can we provide that and communicate that through the product? Got it. Yeah. So if I'm signing up for a course because I want to learn how to code in JavaScript, yes, uh, make sure you address everything that I need in the first yeah. five, 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay. It's like, this is the scope of the course. This course is for XYZ audience. Yeah. I expect you to have this level of knowledge. Yeah. You're going to need this process, this computer, this IDE, all these things. Yeah. So I set the expectation. So like Correct. if I'm a beginner, beginner, I'm not taking an advanced uh, course. Yeah. Make it transparent. You can somehow. qualify the user for the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can have different shapes or forms, right? Like it could be, maybe if it's a social product, you can show he hey, your friends are here and that's what you should sign up for so you can talk to them. Uh, if it's an online course, you want to show the material, maybe give a preview of the course. Um, if it's a product that you can buy, like a, it's an e-commerce store and you're buying like a podcasting equipment, uh, you want to show all the specifications, right? Mm-hmm. So make sure that people know what they're buying. Um, What's funny is that that's a... I love that you mentioned the podcasting thing. The reason why I bought this recorder that's on the table right now is because I went to YouTube and one of my favorite podcasters is uh, Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And I searched Tim Ferriss, how to podcast. And he had a 20 minute video on this is the gear I use for all my interviews. Nice. This recorder. And that's why I bought it. Because if he uses it, I want it. Yeah. Because he has that, uh, the- it has that handshake, right? That uh, seal of approval. Yeah. There's like the trust that you put both on, I'd say, the the person that you're getting the recommendation from, mm-hmm. but also on your research method, which is using YouTube right. or, or Google to research what right. you want to find. Yeah. Um, so the, the last step you mentioned was uh, retention. Yeah. So how retention, do you approach that? Yeah. So retention is arguably, um, if you think about growth as like um, kind of a, a Venn diagram with different parts, there's this part that is marketing and it's related to user acquisition. And then there's this handoff through activation and then you land on the product. And uh, the most successful companies, they all are really good at uh, retaining customers. Um, unless you're like a very specific type of product that you can only buy once, uh, most companies get really big and they really grow and become amazing companies when they develop long time or long relationships with their customers. So retention is all about that. And the best framework to think about it, that there's a um, a term coined by Andy Rackleff and Mark Andreessen, which is product market fit. And basically means uh, that your product found a need in the market. And then because of that, the market is not letting it go, right? Like there's a good fit between the both of them. Uh, The way that you measure that in consumer products is... Um, by looking at your retention numbers uh, and and, um, stick with me for a second. So your retention number means how many people that bought my product are coming back and buying it again or how many users of my product are coming back and using it again. So that's why it's called retention. 
And there's a natural ratio for some of these, right? Like a, for a wedding product, it's only once. So you technically don't have retention, but maybe for uh, audio equipment, you might buy a couple of times a year. So you would expect your uh, customers to come back. Like if you had an amazing experience in that store, uh, and then maybe a year from now, Google wants to upgrade his equipment. You come back to the same store, right? Uh, for Facebook is, are people coming back daily or for WhatsApp? Are my, are my people, uh, my users coming back daily and are they sending more messages every day? Right. And so, uh, that's kind of the key and it's maybe the most important component of, of all of these, because if you have amazing user acquisition and amazing activation, but then people never come back to your product because it's, it has a lot of bugs or it doesn't have the features that, that you need, or maybe it's, a, if it's the online course, it doesn't have the information that you were promised, then you're not going to complete it and you're going to leave and you're going to probably not come back because you already tried it and it was bad. So why would you try it again? Right. And so that's really important. And that's why it kind of connects more to the world of traditional product management, mm-hmm. which is understanding really well, how do I get the people that are using the product to get what they want out of it and building kind of those, um, the features that they want. Mm-hmm. So what role do testimonials or like customer reviews yeah. play on this because yeah. i feel like there's a big opportunity there yeah um that's what falls under the umbrella of a uh, social proof uh, that's what they call usually social proof and it can be it's a tactic that you can use on the user acquisition and activation side for to increase conversion so if maybe you're looking at the course and you're seeing some testimonials from people that you know in the industry uh you're more likely to buy it and so that's a, it's a great way to to get people to cross that uh, threshold and buy more from you. It, it can also take the form of like user reviews. So if you're looking at the uh, podcasting equipment, maybe you see a review or many mm-hmm. reviews, positive reviews, so you're more likely to buy it. Right. Or you know, I took this uh, online program and I duplicated my salary because I got all the yeah, skills yeah, I needed yeah. to do that. For, yeah, 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 exactly. That's that. awesome. Uh, the cool thing about growth is you can now see, for example, if you know that that's a big lever for you, now you can say, well, let's go and let's get more testimonials and let's get testimonials for all of our courses because we know that's important. So now you can break up that as a, as a funnel. Like, what do I need to get a testimonial from someone and have like this separate um, funnel that you can optimize right? and get more people to uh, acquire more testimonial givers. Uh, activate them, get them to retain and give more testimonials. That's awesome. So you can uh, uh, kind of keep going in your uh, pursuit of uh, growth. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. So that's the, the growth funnel there, right? Yeah. I'm wondering maybe uh, we can move into a bit of the, the tactics because I feel that when we talk about things like uh, SEO, like search engine yes. optimization, um, I'm sure you've seen this before that you see people that do posts in Instagram with like 40 hashtags at the bottom. Yes. So what's that about? Yeah. So um, let's take a step back, right? Oh. And say, let's, let's think through the problem that you're trying to find something. You're, uh, let's go back to the, the, the online course on growth. Um, what is the first thing? So let's think about the kind of more of the user psychology, right? Like I want to learn growth. So what do I do? So you probably go on Google or YouTube, uh, which are kind of the biggest uh, search engines and you'll type something 
So what you're typing is what we call a keyword. And it's something you give to a search engine. The search engine job is then to find all the documents or all the videos around the web that are relevant for that keyword. That's the first job. The second job is to sort them in the most relevant way. And in order to do that, they have a, a set of um, scores or an algorithm. That's what we call the search engine algorithm, right? And they then show you probably around 10 results. That's kind of the standard. You'll see 10 YouTube videos on, on podcasting equipment, or you'll see 10 results on Google, maybe some ads. And search engine optimization is the process by which you understand that system, and then you can both create the content that your users are searching for, um, targeting the keywords that they are using. Because if you're using um, online course on growth and your courses never mention the word growth, they only say marketing and get more users, maybe Google doesn't know that they're the same thing. And so figuring out what your audience wants, creating content for that so that you can then compete in those search queries. And then there's a, a, another set of uh, mechanics that you can use to rank higher for those results. Um, so going back to the, the online course example, you type the, the, the query on Google, the, the keyword um, said online course for growth mm -hmm. or learn growth online. Mm -hmm. And then you see a set of results. Uh, the way Google is amazing now in terms of they decided they want to optimize for getting users what they want. And so they have a really a, a massive team of people saying, are my users getting what they want when they type a keyword? Hmm. So they look at a number of things, but the, the key thing, the key kind of abstraction around this is user intent. Hmm. So if someone types online course for growth or like growth online course, what do they want? And they have a whole algorithm that's seeing the behavior of people clicking on the results. And there's, for example, a, a good heuristic is if you type that and then you click on a result and then you never go back to Google, it means you found what you wanted. Exactly. Like we, as you mentioned before, the Google makes money when they minimize the time you spend on the platform. Yeah. We got you out. Yeah. And you found what you wanted. So that's probably the best result for that query. Right. If you go back and then maybe you click on three other things, uh, maybe those three things are the best results for that query. So they'll tend to rank higher. So there's this feedback loop that Google's using by looking at the behavior of the users and seeing what are the things that they're interacting with, what are the things that they're liking, mm -hmm. and then ranking those higher. So what we do as growth managers is reverse engineer that. Uh, wow. But you're reverse engineering that using data from Google, but knowing that the data is driven by user behavior. The, the of, user intent. Yeah, the, user intent of people successfully finding what they're looking for. Um, and so you'll see this when you, if you try a few queries in Google, you see different things. So for example, if you try um, a query that has the word how to, like how to tie my shoelaces, you'll probably see some videos. And that's because Google, through showing many types of results, they, they learned, the algorithm learned that when people are typing that sort of query, they need, they want a video. So they're showing more videos at the top. Mm -hmm. uh, if you try uh, best restaurant in San Francisco, you'll see a map and a list of restaurants. So they know that when people are looking for a restaurant, they probably want to go to that restaurant. So they show you the map and the places around you. Got it. So 
uh, as a growth manager and as a SEO um, person and, and professional, what you're doing is understanding for your company or the product that you're working for, what are all the things that people are searching? How can I classify them in, in groups? And then how can then I create content uh, that targets that query and that keyword or creating an experience, I would say more than content and experience mm -hmm. for the users so that they get what they wanted. Because uh, say you, ha you have a restaurant and you have your page and people are typing best restaurant in San Francisco, you rank for that, but then maybe what people want is a way to make a reservation mm -hmm. and you don't have that. Google will eventually drop you off the page right. because they say all the other competitors have it, you don't have it. And they see that people going to your page tend to go to another page after that and, right. and reserve and never go back to your page. So they know they're reverse engineering that that's a feature and experience that your users are looking for. So that's kind of the core around understanding user intent and then kind of building your product and your experience to fulfill that user intent. Got it. And uh, I love that you mentioned the restaurant example because... Uh, Whenever I go to a restaurant website, the first thing it has is the about. Uh, me, uh, my grandparents came to this country from Italy and we use yeah. the freshest ingredients. And dude, I just want to know at what time you close. Yeah. And the phone number so I can order a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why don't you put that in the front? So um, again, I bypass that. I just go to Yelp. Yeah. Because Yelp, the way it works is that it indexes all the things I care about. Yeah. Is it good they, for kids? At what time does it open? Do they take uh, reservations? They make them easy to find on the page of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. They probably highlight the day of the week that you're on so you can easily see on the schedule if, if it's relevant for you. So, yeah. Yeah. And Yelp is a product like any other. If yeah. you open up your wallet and you pay, you're going to rank your restaurant higher. Yeah. So, that's, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, Marco, you've been extremely generous with your time. Um, from growth, uh, yeah, we've been talking for an hour. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know we can talk about this area, okay. like a, you yeah. know, like a two hours or whatever, but, um, is there anything else in growth that uh, you want to share with this audience? Anything that, uh, I didn't ask you that you wish you could answer? I think, um, I, maybe, um, one thing that could be interesting is I, I'm, I'm going to give some qualities of someone that could be great at doing growth yeah so growth. and then almost like if you feel like those are, are um, qualities that you have I, I would uh, prompt you to kind of pursue or like learn more about it mm -hmm. uh, I think it's kind of a new area and a new space Definitely. Uh, it's, it's getting developed um, so I think as I was saying there's the number one kind of key thing is having a data-driven mindset um, if all we have, if all we have are opinions, it's just mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So going back to that. Entre gustos uh, y colores, los míos son los mejores. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you, if you, for example, for me, I tend to be very objective about everything. I'm an engineer by training. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of really good growth people come from the engineering side. Some of them come from the kind of the psychology side and understanding people. Um, but we all kind of meet in this need of understanding the numbers behind kind of this user behavior. Um, so if you're really good with data and you really like to uh, look at data to make decisions, I think it's a good space for you. The other thing is systems thinking. And by that, I mean, 
when you think about something, you break it up in parts and then you start uh, understanding how each part works. And you know, you know, for example, that there's a feedback loop, right? Like maybe, for example, uh, the Facebook uh, feedback loop is if I invite my friends, they'll invite their friends and then that creates virality, right? Um, and this happens a lot in product. It happens on the content side. If I create tweets, then the tweets rank on Google, then more people come to Twitter, and then that creates more more users. Mm -hmm. uh, same in Quora, for example. If I write a question, then people will come and answer that. Now that question shows up on Google, they get more users. So if you're if this comes natural to you and you think about systems in this way, um, I would also prompt you to to work on growth. Um, and then the third item that I think it's very important for both product and growth is understanding the market that you want to work on. So in the case of consumer products, uh, understanding how the web works and understanding how apps work uh, so you can know the, the limitations of them and create these systems and make these data-driven decisions more easily. If you're working in, in uh, say, healthcare understanding some of the dynamics of those systems. If you're working in fintech, you have to understand banks and banking and finance. If you, so different products and different areas will require you to have kind of some deeper knowledge. So if you have an area that you're really passionate about, and so it's almost like a T-shaped thing, right? Like you mm -hmm. know about products, but then there's this area where you're really curious and really good at, uh, then you can go deeper there and be a growth person or a product person in that space. Um, so I think those those three are kind of key, um, and you can see that through when you when you interview people, um, you can see how they if they excel in that area, it's it's a lot easier to think about the systems and the data that you need to make the decisions. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. uh, that's great. It's great. Um, I think I should be into growth. Nice. <laughs> I was going in the back of my mind like, oh yeah, check, 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 check. check. <laughs> cool. Nice. Uh, that's awesome. Can you tell me in a nutshell, what is this uh, Code for Venezuela thing? Yeah, so Code for Venezuela is um, um, one of our side projects. And what we do is we gather um, a team of volunteers um, from Silicon Valley and the tech industry around the world. And we connect them with non-profits in Venezuela or that are focusing in Venezuela that need help with technology. So we see ourselves as a, as a bridge to send some of the talent that left the country uh, back in the form of technology. So bridging kind of that gap and helping people that are there on the ground, still kind of um, trying to make the country a, a better place despite all the issues that we have and just help them with what we are learning um, here or around the world in terms of technology, product design, marketing, and, and all these kind of um, areas. Great. Yeah, I mean, because there's, there's quite a bit of Venezuelans in Silicon Valley, yeah. actually. I've been amazed at how many I've met uh, at Code for Venezuela events and uh, the hackathon that yeah, we uh, think, you guys had last week. I think there's at least a couple thousand Venezuelan professionals here. Uh, at least so there's a lot of us and uh, many of us we want to give back in a in an effective way and i think the most valuable thing we have is our knowledge and our, our basically our will to give back so more than the money um i think the people in venezuela that we're working with from all these organizations they really appreciate mm -hmm. our time and our energy in helping them uh, solve things back home 
Got it. Can you mention maybe one project that uh, was developed by Cofro Venezuela? Yeah. So I more than one project. Uh, what I'm really excited about right now is we're building a data platform. Uh, we realized that all of these organizations were really uh, when we were when we were going to them, they were asking us help with data. So they they had uh, requests around collecting data or analyzing data or storing the data that they had collected. And this is kind of a known problem or something that, that's been solved by all tech companies. You basically build a data platform where you have a, a few ways to uh, send data in and you store it. And then you have a few ways to analyze it and visualize it so you can make decisions mm -hmm. and be data-driven about it. So uh, we decided to create a, a generic data platform we call Angostura. And Angostura allows organizations to, for example, monitor social media for blackout reports or uh, send surveys to their panels of volunteers in Venezuela. This could be uh, doctors or just like standard citizens that are reporting on the state of hospitals, schools, etc. Mm -hmm. um, then we store all that data for them, we clean it up, and then we provide some tools for them to analyze the data. So say, are, uh, are things increasing or decreasing? Like, are we having more or less blackouts? Like, is it happening more in one side of the country or the other? So in a way, almost like connecting data, uh, collecting data about the real world in Venezuela that is very scarce, uh, and then uh, giving that to the organizations back so that they can make decisions and fulfill their mandate of, uh, that they might have uh, in, yeah. on the ground. Yeah. And, and I think that's great because it ties really well with the, uh, that topic that we, or that, um, that piece of user intent. Yes. Um, you know what? I want to find out Where can I get that particular medicine that I need or my family needs? Yeah. Oh, let me go to Twitter yeah. because that's the space I play in. Every yeah. Venezuelan seems, you know, knows how to use Twitter and yeah. it's a very widely used uh, platform yeah. with a lot of penetration. So, you know, like build your product around what people actually use. Yeah. Uh, it'd be funny if somebody tries to build a product for Venezuelans in Venezuela built around, I don't know, like, GitHub or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Like, like, no, like you, you want to use something, a consumer app that yeah. everybody has already in their pockets. Uh, no, that's awesome. And um, I'm going to put in the show notes, uh, the website also of Cover Venezuela yeah. so people can check it out. Uh, I'm extremely proud of what you guys do. It's a, a huge fan. And uh, we've had you guys yeah. before in the, in the Spanish podcast, but it's the first time we talk about it in the English podcast. So. I want people to find out about it because I think it's a... No. And uh, if you're interested in collaborating, there's a form on the website and you can mm -hmm. you can email us or you can uh, reach out over LinkedIn. Uh, we're welcoming more volunteers uh, and we're excited mm -hmm. to, to bring more people into the cause. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. In words, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. My last name is hard to spell, but you'll, you'll find it on the show notes. Uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to talk about growth. Um, if you have good questions and you're excited about something and just like um, really happy to nerd out about growth, product management, um, consumer products, um, being in Silicon Valley, how to hack your way into product management. So yeah. and an, an authentic Italian food. <laughs> yes, I'm very so I have a few recent obsessions, uh, food obsessions. So Italian food. Uh, now I'm actually into mezcal. And, uh, nice. Did you, did you know that uh, cocuy is a Venezuelan mezcal? Really? Yeah, so cocuy is made out of agave. 
Oh. It's the only other country that has an agave uh, distilled um, spirit. Nice. So maybe you could say that, um, you know, mezcal is the Mexican cocuy. Yes. Just, you know, <laughs> flip it around, man. Flip it around. And it's like people say that, oh, yeah, I want to be the Bill Gates of Venezuela. No, like Bill Gates <laughs> wants to be the Hugo Castellanos of Venezuela, <laughs> of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, can we get cocuy in the U.S.? I'm I curious. don't think we can. It's very small. Yeah, we need to like smuggle it in somehow. No, no, no. Get it through the regular channels and pay all the yeah, tariffs. Man. Of course, of course. Always leave it. Always leave in it. in a couple of years, we'll do an episode about my my Kukui brand. Your Kukui startup. Yeah. I Kukui. Kukui. C I. Awesome, man. No, thank you so much, Marcos. Now this was my pleasure. 